you're gonna get way more no's than you are yeses. But if you don't ever knock on the door, you don't ever pick up the phone, you don't ever send the direct message, like you're never gonna get a yes. People always say like, follow your passion, do what you're passionate about. I didn't even know that you could legally conceal carry a handgun. And I also didn't know that there was these games called competitive shooting. I didn't get into this seeing like a hole in the market. I this is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. All right. Hey, it's Parker with Upbeat, and I am joined today by Nick Hofferman. How's it going? Good. How's it going, buddy? It is going well. Very excited to be hanging out with you today, and I know we've met up a couple times, and your story is really powerful and it's one that I wanted to for sure share with the upbeat listeners. If you don't mind just taking a couple minutes to introduce yourself and like what you do, and uh, you could break down your businesses too, um, and the the Omni Carry holster that you've got and everything. I'm really excited to learn about that, and uh, we're just excited to hear your story. We could go all <laughs> the way back to when I was 12 years old and decided that I was going to be self-employed, or we could start in the last 10 years where I kind of went on to the journey that I'm on now. Let's do, let's, since Upbeat is like a passion-based podcast, let's maybe go with when you were younger first real quick and just like, what was like the first thing or first couple of things that you were passionate about that maybe set you on like that entrepreneurial path? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've, I've told the story quite a few times, so I try to stay really consistent in it. But so it kind of started when I was 11, 12 years old. Um, I used to go and do jobs with my dad. Um, my parents were divorced. Uh, I didn't really grow up with my biological dad. So when I, when I finally got around to where I got to spend time with him, I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And he owned a fitness equipment repair business called Hoffer Fitness Services. Uh, here in the Treasure Valley, actually. And I remember after going on several jobs with him, I was like, I asked him, I said, what, is, what, what are you going, what, what is it like to be self-employed and why do you own your own business? And he said, well, hopefully I can build something and one day pass it on to you. And I remember sitting in the passenger side of his Toyota Tundra going to a job with him. We were going to lay some uh, rubber flooring in a personal gym in Boise. And I thought to myself, I don't want this business, but I want to own my own business. Like you get to make your own hours. You get to do whatever you want, when you want, like, this is what I want to do. And that was, I want to say I was 11. I might've been 12. And from that point on, I was kind of always on this like journey to figure out what I wanted to do. And, and that's kind of where what got me to here. I took some strategic jobs up through that. I, I worked all through high school. I thought I was going to be a mechanic. Um, I had two options coming out of high school. I was either going to go to school to be a mechanic or I was going to go in the Air Force and give up my dream of being self-employed. Um, luckily, I didn't end up going in the military and I ended up moving forward into finding uh my own journey into being self-employed. So that's kind of the start to the entrepreneurial journey, which back then I just knew it as self-employed, right? I knew it as being self-employed, uh, owning a business, had no idea what entrepreneur meant until I was probably 25 years old. Well, yeah. And you've probably, have you started like multiple businesses before this one or uh, has it been kind of focusing on this one the whole time? So before this, I kind of fell into being a minority partner in a company. Um, I didn't really have a lot of involvement in it, but I was, I think I owned 10% of a landscape company with my ex-wife. Um, that was with one of my best friends. Um, but like I said, I didn't have a lot of involvement in it. She worked in the business. Um, I just kind of had helped out with quite a few things, being a mechanic and kind of business savvy and the fact that I wanted to start my own business, but I was always looking for what I wanted to do. And I, I, I'd be honest with you, if someone would have told me about 
real estate agents back then. I probably would be a real estate agent now. I wouldn't be a manufacturing business owner. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you are close with uh, real estate agents, though, and you know yeah. that that's tr that well. What, tell us about the, I guess, the people that are in your life and in your circle. How how has people how have people um, helped support you on your journey? So people are huge, and I I suspect that you're referring to Brenda, who is yes. my girlfriend. We live together. Um, we have four kids between the two of us. And uh, she is a real estate agent. She's a top producing Idaho real estate agent. Um, and she's going to be on the podcast at some point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You need to get her on. I keep telling her she needs to do more podcasts, more more online videos. So definitely get her to come on here. I know she'll watch this. So, um, awesome. But yeah, so networking is huge. Um, I always tell people I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was doing it. And it came this this business, the Hoftac Industries, came to light because it was the absolute right thing in front of me at the time. Um, I had I had four or five different things going on, and this was what I chose to move forward with. One of them was being a, a manager at a manufacturing company. The other one was I was had went through the fire academy and was going to become a full time firefighter. And then I was doing this on the side and I had to make a decision because I couldn't work three full-time jobs. And so I left the fire department, which was kind of, kind of a, a hard thing to do. I mean, I put four or five years into uh, getting into the position I was in and, you know, that's like a childhood dream, right? Everyone wants to be a firefighter. And I was right on the cusp of doing that when I told my uh, previous, my ex-wife, hey, I'm going to quit and I'm going to pursue holster making and the manufacturing job. And I kept the manufacturing job because it helped me in what I'm doing now, which is manufacturing. And everything I did in my twenties was to gain education and knowledge. Um, I, I tell my kids now, I'm like, I didn't go to college, but I had the most expensive education you could buy, which was on the job training. Yeah. That's gotta be super helpful. And like with the holsters, was that like what drew you to that? Did you just see like a a demand or a kind of a hole in the space that you knew you could answer those questions and supply people with something that wasn't there? So this is this is funny, right? People always say like follow your passion, do what you're passionate about. Until I the the job I had right before this was at a firearms manufacturer, and when I interviewed there, I didn't even know that you could legally conceal carry a handgun and i also didn't know that there was these games called competitive shooting where you could go and you could shoot targets and get timed and actually win things i had no idea about any of that when i thought about guns i thought about the military law enforcement and hunting like that was my extent of firearms ownership i owned a couple of rifles i had owned one handgun and that was all I knew about it. And so I didn't get into this seeing like a hole in the market. I worked for that company for five years before I was introduced to holster making. Um, that was 11, almost 12 years ago now. And I just, I saw it as something that I could make money doing. I didn't know how much money. I didn't know how big of a market there was. I just said, you know what, I've been looking for something to do on the side, but I'm going to pursue it like it's a real business. And at that time, you could sell things on Facebook pretty easily. And I, I just, I made a holster and I sold it right away. And I just continued to flip that over and over and over again until I turned $300, which I started with, into $3,000. And I was like, this is a real thing. And I just pushed forward from there. Awesome. So, and then I'm sure social media then has been a big part of pushing uh, your products and your message. So I know you told, you told me this at a dinner a few weeks ago, so I, I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it uh, on the podcast, but how has like TikTok and Instagram reels and stuff helped you? So from the beginning, uh, social media was the only way that I sold anything. 
Um, like I said, back then you could, there wasn't Facebook marketplace, but there was a bunch of Facebook groups that were like buy, sell, trade groups. And you could actually post firearms and accessories in those groups and sell them until probably 2013, 2014, where they really cracked down on that. And so I was making holsters and then I was meeting people after work and I would drop them off. And so essentially my business was started in 2012 through Facebook and just posting in those groups. And then as I grew into Instagram, I started on Instagram, Instagram was iPhone only. So it wasn't even in the uh, Apple or the Android Play Store, I think is what it's called. Um, so you had to, you could only be on there with an iPhone, but for the first four years I was in business, I didn't have a website. So that will tell you right there how much I was doing through Instagram and Facebook everything was social media that is awesome and that's like an inspiring message too because i think a lot of people and i'm guilty of this too but a lot of people feel just discouraged when it comes to posting and a lot of people feel um like the platforms are against them or like it's just <laughs> oversaturated right so it's like so i think i i think at that when we were having dinner and was i was explaining to you my experience with that and i actually just had this conversation with another holster maker who's just been in it about a year and if anybody can express to you how frustrating it feels to have social platforms feel like they're against you it's definitely me so <laughs> I had very early success on Instagram and Facebook, which was cut off completely later on. Um, I've, I've ran, I've probably spent $3,000 in 12 years on advertising on social media, which people who are in my same position have spent millions of dollars. And the reason for that is my ad account has been permanently banned forever. I, have my posts constantly taken down because of the industry that I'm in. And I mean, the community guidelines on social media, be it TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, they're all built against what I, what I do, right? Because they consider firearms weapons. So everything is stacked against what it is I'm trying to promote. And so I really have to find unique and innovative ways to talk about what I'm doing without actually selling the product. Got it. And that would make sense. I'm connecting dots here because I've been following you pretty closely and I've seen you, you post more stories and, or like Instagram stories, but also just telling stories in your videos more and like sharing stories, examples, things like that, that you're not exactly saying like, Hey, go buy this thing. But it's more just like, reaching people in a roundabout way to get them interested in, you know, going to see what it is that you sell. And that's also, that's a strategy, not only for somebody who's in the firearms industry, but, but just about anything. Right. So I've, I've learned that the best way for me to sell anything is to sell myself. So if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and we're talking about, say it's beatboxing, right for you. And I'm talking about like, Oh, I'm really interested in what you're doing. That makes you interested in me and interested in what I do. And then you go to my profiles and you're like, Hey, this guy is, he makes gun holsters. I have a gun. I wonder if he has something for me. And that's how probably 90% of my business is done. That's, that is so cool though. And it, you're right. It is a good strategy for pretty much anyone in anything that they're pursuing it's about like the stories and the messaging and and then the true networking too right like being in it to help other people and collaboration yeah, just, over competition that kind of thing I, I i heard something uh not too long ago and and I've, I've heard it in variations over time it's the more that you if you give you'll never be broke and so the more information that i'm able to give the more help that i'm able to give the more things that come back to me over time. And so there's been a lot of times where like, I'm like, man, I need money, right? I can't just keep doing all of this for no money. But then all of a sudden, when I actually really do need the money where it's like, oh my God, if you don't come up with $10,000 by the end of the month, you're gonna be in trouble. And somehow that always happens. So I just continue 
to help in any way that I can. And that continues to grow my message and grow my brand and grow my revenue. Absolutely. I am very much so resonating with that right now. Just from my experiences today, I had a speaking engagement this morning that um, was totally volunteer, totally free. And that's something that normally like it, it was a 35, 45 minute presentation that normally that I would get paid for. But I was like, this is for a good cause. This is in my community. This is something I believe in. I'm going to go do it and just see what happens, you know? And not only do I think I really inspired some people, but also I booked some more speaking gigs that are paid. <laughs> and it's... on top of that, I saw that you had somebody videoing you. So maybe it was free for you to speak, but the, the content and the message created around that is going to make you money in the long run. It's going to book you more time in front of people and get more awareness which that alone is also worth some sort of value. Yes, agreed. So it's kind of just like that lesson of of showing up even when it feels, you know, not like initially what you'd want it to be. Like what you said just about giving. The more you give, the more um you will reap the rewards of that too. So something, something that I've recognized about myself is this. So I've, I've spoke at a few events, right? But never anything that was really relevant towards what it is that I do. So like I spoke at a contractor's event for people who are in construction. And I talked about this very thing, social media and getting your message out there and branding. Well, it carried over into that. But then after I left that event, I had orders that were coming in from the names that I recognized in that room. So I, I, I really don't get too hung up on if it's inside of my, my, my niche, I guess. It's more about everybody that I meet has a potential to either need what I sell or know somebody who does. So I'm building that word of mouth. I'm building that, uh, what is it? The, the reputation of somebody that they can trust the more that they see me. And in fact, when it comes to social media, like uh, you probably saw my video I posted today, I started to pull, I'm actually following a big time uh, contractor influencer who owns a, a really big uh, coaching group for uh, construction contractors. And I'm starting to make content that mimics what he's doing towards what I do. And that's something that a lot of people in my industry don't do. We always say the firearms industry is 10 years behind the rest of the world when it comes to marketing. And it's absolute truth because we, we don't get to be on TV. We don't get to be in social media ads. We don't get to be mainstream, right? So everything that we do is kind of behind the time. And so I'm trying to jump out ahead and say, okay, I'm going to talk about what it is I do in the shop and how I help people and how I help people carry guns, how I help other people. Uh, Holster companies supply their customers, and all of that will create credibility around me, which will then drive people into uh, some projects that I'm about to launch that will then carry them back into the projects that I've already launched, like the holster brand. Awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. And have you had any, I guess, experiences with customers that, kind of inspire you to keep going um, and keep working so hard on this? <laughs> so that happens to me every single week. So I actually designed a part of my business exactly for that, right? So the part of the part of holster making that I really liked was the custom side where I got to help people solve specific problems. And I really had gotten away from that for a lot of years by doing a lot of uh, wholesale and a lot of uh, online e-com sales where I wasn't, in, I wasn't interacting with the end user. I was more just put, uh, creating product and fulfilling orders. And that was great. That makes I can make a lot of money doing that, but I also didn't feel like that feeling of fulfillment. Right. So I opened back up custom holsters and two to three days a week. I actually book appointments for people to come in and walk them through 
the process of concealed carry. And that's really what drives me to continue innovating products like the OmniCarry and uh, just kind of changing the way that people see carrying a gun. Yeah. And so what is the, uh, I know because I've looked into it a lot and have talked to you before, but to the listeners, what is the OmniCarry holster all about? Like what, what does that solve for people? So the OmniCarry holster is one holster that you can fit to multiple different guns. So a lot of people like to use the term universal or multi-fit and, and both of those terms are on our packaging and in our marketing, but really it's, it's one product that you can take and you can adjust it. And what I, I like to say, fine tune the fit to whatever handgun you want to carry. So instead of me making a specific holster, I made a holster that you can make specific to your gun. And what that allowed me to do is take away the biggest pain point for the end user, which is not being able to find a holster that fits their gun or not knowing what all of the different terms and options were when they were going through someone's website or looking at packaging. And, and then on the flip side of that, it also allowed me to work with store owners and cut down the amount of inventory that they needed to carry because they can sit down and fit the holster to the customer's gun in the store. Got it. See, that's so cool. And yeah, that I mean, anyone who carries or is interested in that, that seems super relevant and like a really good choice. So that's awesome. I'm sure you've had like prototypes and ups and downs and all kinds of struggles along the way. So, and that's, or go ahead. So when I started the journey of the multi-fit holster, right? I was, I was very against it. I was, I was that person that holster maker who was like, if it's not Kydex and it's not an exact fit, it's garbage. And so when I got approached to do a project for someone that wanted something that was kind of universal, I was like, no, it's, I, I, I can't do it. And then I started looking more and more into it. And I was like, maybe I could do it a different way. And I designed a product that was the first variation of the OmniCarry. And I partnered with a big holster company um, we did that for four or five years. We sold 65,000 of them. And that to me was really the proof of concept, right? But I thought there's, a, there's an even better way to do this. And so I went to work for the next four years of designing what I have now with the OmniCarry, which is something that fits almost exactly like a full custom fitted holster. Um, and and part of part of what drove me to do that was you've been to a lot of networking events and you've spoken in front of a lot of people. And I, and I learned by going to those networking events, everyone who learned what I did, they wanted a holster, but they didn't know what gun they owned. And then I got to realizing a big majority of gun owners are not gun enthusiasts. They're just gun owners. They own it because they like it, but they're not, it's like me with cars, right? I can, tell most people that I meet what car they what what car they drive. Brenda thinks it's the weirdest thing ever, but I'm into cars and motorcycles. So if someone owns a motorcycle or owns a certain type of car, I associate that with who they are. Well, a lot of gun enthusiasts do the same thing, right? They know every gun, they know everything about it. It's just like if you're a football fan and you know all the stats, like me as a as what I would say a normal person, I couldn't tell you anything about football stats but that doesn't mean that i don't like to watch football so i made a holster that allowed people who like to shoot guns but they don't have to know everything about every gun that they own they could they could tell me yeah it's a nine millimeter glock and i can look at them and go yeah it'll fit here's the adjustments that you need to make on your end. <laughs> That's awesome. See, I can r relate a lot to that too. I, I'm a gun owner and I got my first gun, um, gosh, probably like five or six years ago, but I, you know, I got it as like a home defense thing or like a, maybe one day I'll get into concealed carry thing. And I live in Idaho. So, and I would go out shooting with my friends on the weekends, you know, there, there, it was just like part of 
life, but I wouldn't say I'm a gun enthusiast and I, I really don't know all the ins and outs or anything. Um, just a very basic handgun is what I got. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and, and your product is perfect does. for that. I can, I can relate to that because like I said early on in this, I wasn't, and I still am not a gun enthusiast, right? I know a ton about guns now because I've spent the last 15 years in the firearms industry. Like I, I understand them. I know a ton about them, but people would be surprised to know that like, I don't spend all of my extra time and money buying and shooting guns. I, I do the amount of training I need to do to be safe and be proficient and help other people. But I would rather go ride a, ride a dirt bike or go out and go on the lake than I would spend my entire weekend out of the shooting range. So I can, I can relate to the so-called normal person in the <laughs> fact that you don't need to know everything about it, but you need to know how to use it and you need to carry it. So how can I get more people to carry their guns? Well, it was about having a holster that was probably the most comfortable you're going to find and the most universal in the fact that it's going to fit a lot of different things and you don't have to have a lot of knowledge. That's awesome. Well, and I know too, as far as like extra activities and stuff, that's how you and I met. We met at events and um, kind of personal development type stuff. What kind of piqued your in interest with the personal development category and some of the things that you're in now? For a long time in my 20s, I was on a mission to kind of figure out what I wanted out of life. Um, and, I, and I really couldn't figure it out. I got married when I was 25. Um, we had... Uh, our son when I was 20. So when I was 19, my ex-wife was pregnant with my son. I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't gone to college. I didn't own a business yet. Like I was, I was really lost, but I was forced to grow up pretty quick um, because I needed to take care of a family that I didn't realize I was going to have so young. Um, so I didn't know, I wanted to, I wanted to own my own business, but I really didn't have the money or the time to figure it out. And so I spent a long time kind of feeling lost and trying to figure that out. And for a while, I think, I think I was 25, 24, 25, and I was managing a restaurant uh, here in Eagle uh, called The Griddle. And I had some customers come in and they, they drove a different car every time they came in. Like I said, I recognize the types of cars. I would look at, I'm like, dude, every time Gary and Linda come in, one day, one day he's driving a 54 Belair wagon, the next he's driving a 67 Camaro, and then he's got a 54 Chevy pickup, and we became friends. We started hanging out, and he never told me what he really did. He's like, yeah, we're, we're in financial services, right? And I was like, okay, whatever that means. And one day he, like, invited me to come over to his house and he's like, dude, I want to, I want to share with you what I do. And I was like, oh my God, this is one of those things. And so if, if you're listening, like you probably know where I'm going with this. He's like, invites me over. He tells me what he does. He's like, oh, I, uh, I sell financial services and insurance for Primerica. And I was like, what the hell is that? Didn't know anything about it, but I was like, man, this dude's got like 25 muscle cars. Like I should probably pay attention to what he's, what he's telling me. And so I kind of got into it. Me and him were friends, so I trusted him. I started going to some of these meetings. And if anyone's ever been recruited for an MLM, whether it's Primerica or Prove It or any of those things, you know when you go to the meetings, they are like raw, raw, run up, music, like motivational type stuff, right? And, and that's really where I got introduced to the self-development and motivation. And Gary gave me some books. Um, I went to my first event in Salt Lake and saw a uh, self-development coach that was on stage. And I just, I was instantly addicted to that. And that's really what started, started that. And then there's some time after that, I, I met, I met someone named Sean Whalen uh, through YouTube. Um, it was before he really started Lions Not Sheep, but he was wearing a shirt similar to what I have on now and it said Lions Not Sheep. And I was like, who is this guy? He's interviewing somebody. They're talking about guns. 
I'm going to, I'm going to watch him. And I started following him and that's, that's really where my journey started. Uh, I met him. He gave me a book called the four agreements. And after that, I mean, the person that you'll see now is literally who I became. Love that. And yes, Sean Whalen, definitely you've been following him and it's cool to, to see the growth that happens, but also what's coming to mind right now for me is your business. It's kind of in this niche of, uh, not like product category, but like culture category, you know, like there's, there's more Christians, more conservatives, more masculine masculinity, you know, masculine men kind of a thing. It's weird. It's kind of interesting how that plays out too, where your business is kind of in that side of the culture. Yeah. So, so firearms culture, second amendment culture is really, it's, it's really its own very unique culture. If, if you look into it, um, some people will call that culture, the right wing extremists. And, and some <laughs> are like when I first got into, uh, the gun culture, like it was very guarded. It was very, uh, if you were new to it and you didn't know a lot about it, the people who were in it were not very nice. And, uh, I actually am a co-host on a podcast called Range Minded and our whole mission, which is my mission with my business, is to uh, what we say is be uh, good stewards of the Second Amendment and take someone shooting. And that's share what being a part of the gun community really is, which is and it's a fundamental right as a U.S. citizen to be able to own a firearm. So you should be able to exercise that and and understand it and make the decision if you want to own guns or not, but you should experience it the same way you experience free speech or freedom of religion, right? Like everybody should experience it at least once to see what it's about. And that's really what I'm about. So you'll see, like you said, I have a product-based business. But next year, in the coming months, I'm actually launching a community that is based around concealed carry and helping people to move into that space to where one of my missions is to have people ask, what what range do you shoot at? Just like as if somebody said, what gym do you go to? What golf course do you play golf on? Like All of those things are fun, but they're not a fundamental right as an American. And I don't understand why gun ownership is so taboo. And so I'm starting a, I'm starting a group and it's going to be all about exposing people to the culture that we, that you're kind of talking about. Yeah. And really love that. I didn't, for some reason, I didn't know you were, you were a co-host on a podcast. What was that called again? <laughs> it's called range minded. So I haven't actually done any episodes in the last eight months. Um, but I think, we have 220 episodes and I'm on 90 of them. Okay, sweet. Yeah, that's awesome. So upbeat listeners who would be interested in that, definitely go check that out. Um, also, you touched on something I really wanted to hit on on the podcast before we kind of close out here. And that is, that is the Four Agreements book that you mentioned. That was a big part of our conversation when we linked up in person not too long ago. And you also have a really touching story about that with, uh, your dad. And if you don't mind kind of sharing some of that, uh, with the listeners, I think it'd be really impactful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I remember I did share that with you and I think that you said you'd already read it, right? Yeah. And I actually got it. I mean, I was borrowing it from my mom, but I, after our conversation, I went out and bought one that's just for me. Yeah, absolutely. So if I could recommend a book to anyone in the world, that would be the book. And so I mentioned before that um, when I had got introduced through Facebook and YouTube to Sean Whalen, he, I had asked him some questions about some problems that I was having in my relationship. And he sent me the Amazon link for the four agreements. And he said, read this book and get back to me. And I've never been a reader. Like I could not stand reading. I was like, this is dumb. And I bought the book and it reads at like a fifth grade level. So it's super easy to read, but it was, it was written a long time ago. And 
the the four agreements really did change the way that like I saw my saw my life. And uh, for those of you that haven't read it, the four agreements, I'm going to mess this up because I always screw up the third one. So you might have to help me. So you have uh, integrity in your word. Don't take anything personally and always do your best. And then I can, I can never remember the fourth one. Um, be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything personally. Don't make assumptions and always do your best. There you go. So that, that seems very basic, right? And when you read through it, you're like, well, okay, like, yeah, I'm impeccable with my word, right? Well, if you're not honest with yourself, you're not impeccable with your word. If you tell lies, you're not impeccable with your word. If you don't show up when you say you're going to show up, like you're not impeccable with your word. And it's not anything to get down on yourself about. It's something to fix. If you sit back and you go, oh, so-and-so didn't pay me back the money that they loaned me. And you take it personal. You think, oh, they didn't pay you back because they don't like you. Or somebody was late to work and you take it personally. It gets you worked up. Well, there's usually something going on with that other person, no matter what it is, that it's usually not about you. And so if you can not make things about yourself and not take that stuff personally, it makes your life a lot easier. Now, with always doing your best, like it doesn't matter what you do, just do it as good as you can. So I might not be the best shooter, but I'm trying, I'm doing as best as I know how, that's good enough. And next time I might do a little bit better and incrementally my best will get better. And that has to do with following the other agreements too, which is in order to follow those agreements, I just have to do my best to be impeccable with my word. I have to do my best not to take things personally. I have to do my best to, what's the fourth one? Um, the assumptions. Assumptions. I have to do my best not to assume anything that other people are doing. So that's one that I actually use quite a bit is not to make assumptions. Like, I don't know why someone didn't do something. I don't, when somebody comes to me and they're gossiping about someone else, any input that I would give that I don't have firsthand experience with would be an assumption. Like, I would assume that Parker told you to F off because you did something to make <laughs> him mad. I don't know. But that that's just my assumption, right? And it doesn't mean anything and it doesn't doesn't change anything. So just don't do it. Like you if a really good one, and I use this a lot with my son. So I tell my son, like, not to make assumptions, right? And I've and I've bought all of our kids this book, and none of them have read it the way that we would like. But I tell him, well, he's like, Oh, I can't do that because the coach is gonna say this, or uh, I'll say, Well call your mom and ask your mom and he'll like start to come up with an excuse, right? Like, Oh, my mom's just going to say no. And I look at him and I'll go, Cooper, don't make the assumption that you're just going to get the answer that you think you're going to get. If you don't ask, you don't know. But if you make the assumption that the answer is no, then you're not going to ever get a yes. That is exactly right. That's a good, good example. And I, uh, something that I was thinking a lot about today, just with guests and stuff on the podcast that I've had, I was thinking, you know, many of those guests are not people that live here in Boise. I mean, you and I know each other here locally, but many of the guests are people that I felt kind of like insignificant reaching out to them, you know, like they're a big deal. They've got more followers, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, if I don't message them, nothing's going to happen for sure. But if I do message them, something might happen. And yeah. like, either way, you've got to take that risk. <laughs> I mean, what's the, we talk about this in the sales world all the time. Like you're going to get way more no's than you are yeses. But if you don't ever knock on the door, you don't ever pick up the phone. You don't ever send the direct message. Like you're never going to get a yes. Yep. So if you just assume like, oh, people don't want me sending them direct messages. I can promise you this. I make a lot of money on Instagram by sending direct messages. Like the assumption that people don't want you to do that. You know what? I'm glad that a lot of people make it because it leaves the door wide open for me because I DM <laughs> a ton of my followers 
in order to ask them questions and also sell them on things. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and uh, sorry about the distraction and stuff, but there was, I guess, was there more to the story with your dad and the four agreements and all that? Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, like I didn't have a great relationship with my dad as a kid. He wasn't around. Um, my dad, uh, as I've shared on social media lately, is uh, my dad recently passed away. So that's kind of preface where I'm going. But uh, when I was a kid, my dad wasn't around. He had a drug and alcohol problem. He had been arrested a, quite a few times. Um, he also had been to prison three times and has a, a pretty unique story. Um, and if you guys want to know more about that, you can you can follow me on Instagram. I, I share quite a bit of stuff about him. And going forward, I'll, I'll share even more because he's touched a lot of people's lives. But uh, we had kind of a falling out. Uh, he was around when I was a teenager, but we had a falling out around the time I graduated high school. Um, he got divorced from his wife and had a, a relapse and ended up going back to prison. And he had lied to me about using uh, drugs. And I told him, if you're lying to me, I'll never talk to you again. Well, I went two and a half years while he was in prison without talking to him. Um, good or bad, I partly regret it. But the other part of me thinks that maybe that had something to do with the last 17 years that he was sober and that he changed thousands of people's lives when he became a drug and alcohol counselor. Um, I get messages almost every day about the videos that I post with him uh, about people that he helped. But uh, something that really brought us together five or six years ago, maybe seven or eh, it might've been eight years ago now, uh, was I actually gave him the Four Agreements book when he was starting out his counseling career and he took that book and he created uh, a program around the four agreements and uh, drug and alcohol counseling, where he actually reached out to the author, uh, Don Ruiz Miguel Jr. And when I went through his emails, I had seen correspondence back and forth after he died of the project that they did so that he could write a course based around the four agreements. And when I was cleaning out his office, he had like 20 copies of that book and he used to give it to his clients. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty interesting and pretty cool story. On top of that, we did a, we did an auction uh, after he died for a fundraiser for his wife. And I sold one of those books for $500. Um, just for reference, I think that book's like nine bucks. And I sold it for $500 and I placed a bulk order uh, for the book for $1,000 and I'm gonna give those books away. See, that's awesome. That stuff is awesome. Um, it's a good good way to get positive, positive messages out to people and uplift people on their journeys and that's, that's what upbeat is about as well. Just reminding us side hustlers, entrepreneurs, you know, people who are struggling with mental health, discouragement to just keep going and to build the things that we're called to build and help people along the way. That's what it's about. So one last thing that I want to share on that topic is that after I gave him that book and he read that book and he kind of, he, he told me, he's like, Nick, this is, this is a very impactful book. This had a huge impact on like my life. And, and I told him, I said, same with me. And so we used to meet on Fridays because he was on the a board that met over here uh, by my shop and we would meet. And every time that we would go have lunch or have breakfast, somehow it always came up that we ended up referencing the four agreements. And anytime I was struggling with something and I would call him the way that he would relate to me to get the point across or to like share a message is he would relate that back to the four agreements. And that made it much easier for me and him to communicate because we both bought into the message in that book. And so that's really what I've been trying to build with my kids is if they can read that book, I can then 
reference those agreements when they're having struggles in their life. And it's good for us and in our lives. And that's exciting too. launching the community that you're going to do. I'm excited to follow that. And I'm sure that'll be a big role of your content and messaging with that community too. Yeah. So the, the community, I'm, I'm excited for the community. I've been working on it for a while. Um, I couldn't decide if I wanted to do uh, some sort of a, like a business coaching community, which I really don't feel that I'm qualified to do that. So I was struggling with it for a long time. And then I, I kind of struggled with the concealed carry community because I'm like, I'm not a firearms instructor. I'm not law enforcement. I'm not military. But the way I'm going to approach it is very much uh, from a civilian aspect and an aspect of like networking, not so much on the training and how to shoot, but the what are what are some of the very basic struggles that keep people from like carrying a gun and the questions that you're afraid to ask on Facebook because people are going to give you a hard time type of thing. And just, I, I relate to that because that's where I come from. I came from knowing nothing and never carrying a gun to for the last 15 years, carrying a gun every day, everywhere I go. And so I know the struggles and, and part of what I do on Fridays is help people with that. So I think that that will be a great way for me to give back. It'll be a great place for people to uh, come together and network no matter what state you're in. And it'll also be a great place for me to uh, have exposure for the other things that I do, like the products that we sell. So, yeah. And always, a, it's always a learning and improving game too. You'd probably be surprised how much you are like learning in that too, with, from so, other people. <laughs> yeah. So my, my hope will be this, my hope will be that people with a lot more experience and a lot more knowledge than me join the group. <laughs> because one thing I've learned about the, one of the groups that I'm in is the guy running the group is a great dude. He knows a lot of stuff. I respect him a lot. He's changed my life. But the people that I talk to in the group have really helped me navigate the direction for my businesses. I just had a, I just had a phone call with one of the guys in this group uh, who's a commercial banker, and he's helping me set up a, a pretty big project that I've been thinking about for years. And it's going to cost probably $5 million to fund it. And he's like, it's a great idea. Here's exactly how I would structure it so that you can get the investments. Wow. And that's not the guy in charge of the group. That's a guy paying the same guy to listen to his calls every week. Yeah. Just quality networking. That's awesome. Well, hey, and do you have anything, I guess, else that maybe I didn't touch on um, that you'd want to make sure you get out on the podcast? I think that we've, I think we've touched on quite a bit. Um, I can't wait to get you uh, to come over and do um, our podcast. Um, I'm, I'm actually, actually, I do want to get this out. So I talked about the group. I talked about Hoftech. I'm actually starting my own podcast and it's going to be called the Legacy Podcast. And it has to do with uh, the fact that when my dad passed away, there's only three, there's three CDs of him speaking at events and no other audio that I have of him talking about anything that he had. And I want to help people share their voice in the, in the, what is it? The century or whatever of a video, like helping people get their story out, just like you are, just like we do with podcasts, but really focusing on having something that your family, friends, grandkids will be able to remember you by, by telling your story. Wow, that's an awesome idea. You, so could like, you could send the recording to the people and just they could keep it forever. And they go into the podcast knowing that they're going to share, you know, what they want to leave behind. That's deep. I think that's a really cool Absolutely. idea. And and I've, this has been shared with me a million times. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. So I could walk out this door. And this is exactly what happened to my dad. He walked out the door. He went to work. He went to a meeting after work. He got hit by a car and he's dead. Three miles so from tomorrow, the Yeah, tomorrow not guaranteed for any of us. So my my big thing is I've started to share things. I have a I have a private uh, 
Facebook page where I've started sharing a lot of messages that I want to leave for my family and friends as kind of a time capsule. And that's where I kind of got the idea for this new podcast is like, dude, a lot of people aren't going to take that type of commitment like I have, but I can give them a place that's going to live way past all of us, which is the internet. Social, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, like those things are not going anywhere anytime soon. Most of that's going to outlive all of us. So if we can put our messages and the stories we want to share on those platforms, they're going to be left behind. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that's a great idea. And thanks for sharing that with with me and the upbeat listeners. And thanks for being on the show too, man. I had spent a long time coming. I knew when I met you guys, I had to, like you guys really, you and Brenda, um, you really kind of reignited this this fire in me to want to get back to do these things upbeat kind of took a year or two hiatus. And, um, so I'm glad that just from those simple conversations, you know, I've been able to relaunch upbeat and now have you as a guest and just appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and about your business and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait for more episodes of upbeat. And if you guys are listening do reach out to Parker and get on here, tell your story share what you have going on with the world. There's, there's no reason to keep that stuff inside of us. It's not helping anyone. It's not serving anyone. Agreed. And thank you for that. And I'm going to close out here just by beatboxing your name real quick. (laughs) I can't wait. awesome thanks man appreciate it i appreciate it that's awesome